Welcome back, lords, ladies, and lovelies, to Black Girl Tea Party. My name's Leah Dorsey. And I'm Yasmeen Hill. First things first, let's get right into the brew. Aaliyah, what's brewing for you this week? Um, my brew is um, a little bittersweet with a hint of gratitude. Um, I say this because this is the last official episode of our season. We have reached the glorious conclusion of season one of Black Girl Tea Party, and I'm a little sad like i'm really i'm really proud of the work that we've done and i love getting to talk with you every week yasmin and i just love this show when i love working with you and i'm just really glad that we finally did this show after talking about it for so long like a lot of you don't know but we've been talking to you about doing this show for like a whole year and we just kind of finally had the opportunity and the equipment and the time to put it together for you all and so it's been a long time coming and i'm just really proud of having 12 beautiful episodes with you and with our audience so i'm really happy and grateful for all of the lords ladies and lovelies out there who listen to our show um also yeah it was definitely a learning experience but i i feel the same i feel the same yeah it's it's so good it's so good i know you don't do hugs but i would i would want to hug you if if we were in the same room (laughs) for this recording Oh, yes. Yeah. If it was like, Aunt, I would hug you in this instance. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yay. I feel so special. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, because I mean, I'm not trying to interrupt your brew, but like uh, when you think about it, like this definitely has been in the works for a really long time. And we have been friends since freshman year. And like to think that we're graduating now, well, in May. I don't know, just looking back at our, like, this is our origin story, you know? And it, it, it makes me feel really good to be able to make content that I really like with a person that I really like, that I vibe with, that I know, like, can almost read my mind at this point. So I am, I also have a lot of gratitude for all the Lords, ladies, and lovelies, all our tea drinkers out there. Like, uh, it is, it's very weird to think about but i'm glad we're in this position right yeah thank you guys for coming to the tea party with us oh my god i love you Yasmine, and i love all of our listeners out there you know we couldn't we wouldn't be doing this show without your your interest in like this project that we have um so you know my first brew is thank you for 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 being y'all um but also in that same vein um so I've been the events coordinator uh, for our college's LGBTQ plus ally alliance uh, since my freshman year. Um, and since I'm going to be graduating in May, as I said before, um, we have elected a new events coordinator and a whole new exec board. Um, and I'm just really sad um, about that as well. Um, the people who are going to be on the exec board are great people. They're wonderful. They're dedicated to liberation and to making the club um great uh but like you know this organization has been a large part of my college experience and I'm really grateful for what we've been able to do and the love that this club has given me you know um and I I do a segment every meeting called queer history and so last meeting on Monday I gave my um my last queer history presentation which was just like uh my my swan song speech about um, the importance of queer history and also the nuances of queer history and how important its place in our world is. Um, And I just, I feel really happy about ending my time in that way. Um, I cried (laughs) writing it just because, you know, like, again, like this organization has been a part of how my identity as a college student and it's helped me come to grips with a lot of things about myself. Um, And I've just, I've just loved being a part of it. And so, to anybody who's a part of that org uh, who listens to the show, I just want to thank y'all for being great and for being my family, away from my family, um, and for loving me and for letting me serve an exec for so long. Um, CG is always going to be in my heart and it's always going to, it's going to feel weird next semester going to meetings as a member and not like planning those meetings and like making sure they're going well, you know, and I'm just also like really excited to see what the new exec does with the club because I think that's the fun part about being on exec is that like you get to make 
each of those positions whatever you want them to be and you get to let the club evolve and grow in a way that it might never have before and you get to bring your own little fun spin to it and so I hope that y'all like think about that and take hold of that um as exec members but you know I'm always going to be like you know nostalgic about being on exec for this organization and um you know good luck to the, the new exec and I just feel really sad about and like you know bittersweet again that, that bittersweet feeling about having to leave um a position that I've had for so long but um you know I'm just feeling I'm just feeling those nostalgic feels you know I feel like I've you know, a lot of things in my life that have been a big part of who I am for the past four years are coming to a close. And so I'm just, you know, feeling, feeling some type of way about that. But, you know, good. Ready for the future. <laughs> anyway, Yasmin, what's brewing for you this week? Well, my brew is quite literally out of this world. No, I'm <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but... We are in space. Victor Glover is the first African-American to live on the International Space Station, or ISS. Glover and three other astronauts from NASA left Earth. Left Earth on Sunday for a six-month stay in a capsule called Resilience. Um, and NASA tweeted a video on the 15th announcing Glover as the pilot. And I just, I came across this uh, article literally today. And I was just like, wow, like, look at these people, like, making milestones, like, or I guess surpassing milestones and, like, doing, doing the work, doing really great work. Um, so just, you know, kudos to you, uh, Victor Glover. <laughs> Yay, congrats to Victor Glover. I know. What do you think about that? He's not the first um, black person on the International Space Station, but... I don't know. Like, I repeated left Earth because that, that's just such a interesting, like, that's just so, I don't want to say weird, but it's, it's just a very wild thought that people are, like, leaving the planet. I know that this is not a new thing. People have been doing that for, like, a minute and a lot of money and time and very smart people work very hard to make that happen. Um, but just the left Earth? Oh, my, wow. And so I was just like, yes, kudos to Victor Glover. Um, his image... And his legacy will hopefully influence, uh, you know, young black folks in the future to be interested in science and STEM and all of the all of those things that I'm not very good at. But hopefully, you know, hopefully he can bring in a new wave of uh, black youths. Um, so, yeah. But with that, it's time for tea. I am overly excited uh to bring you all this week's episode we were joined by none other than senior cameron dawkins also my debate partner for a conversation on black feminism we love her in these streets um an icon royalty yeah very amazing uh now this topic specifically for me and cameron was like uh it just makes sense because, like I said, we're debate partners and in the past, what, three years um, of competing, we've done a lot of, like, research on black feminism, womanism, uh, the nuances between the two, uh, anti-blackness at large. And so uh, uh, they've definitely been my, my partner in crime, <laughs> my, my partner in critical theory. So... Yeah, it was a great interview. So here you guys go. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. Okay, so it says it's recording, so it should be. <laughs> okay, awesome, awesome. Well, Cameron, um, introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. Yeah. Okay, uh, my name is Cameron Dawkins. Um, pronouns they, she. Uh, I am a senior at Mercer University double majoring in global health studies and Spanish. I am on the debate team of varsity debater with our lovely Yasmin Hill. Um, Woo. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I love poetry. I love art. I love black feminism. I love black people. Um, oh, period. <laughs> yes, we love to see it. We love to yeah, see it. Do. So well, I guess um, we can start off with like our first round of like 
topics for a discussion. Um, I guess I want to talk about, first of all, like, what is Black feminism for our listeners and, like, why it matters. Yeah, and why it matters. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think Black feminism is is a lot of things, but I'll say this. Um, black feminism is a recognition um, and a movement designed to combat the issues of the way that oppressions intersect specifically for Black women. Um, so a really distinct example of this was with the civil rights movement, with a lot of organizations being headed um, and organized and led, uh, at least at face value, by Black men. Um, And the sexism and misogyny that took place um, and was enacted upon Black women, but also the issues in the feminist movement, which were headed and led in large part by white women. um, And essentially, Black women were not completely welcome in two movements that were at face value designed to liberate them, right? And really, I think Black feminism recognizes that oppression is intersectional. And like, obviously the term coined by Kimberly Crenshaw of intersectionality, the, the realization that oppression isn't divided and split in the ways we typically fight for liberation, but rather it's vital if we're actually going to create change to recognize the way intersection, the way oppression is intersectional um, and in the case of Black feminism for Black women. No, good answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh my God. Yeah, that's all. That's really all of my, all of my thoughts about it, you know? Um, was really good yeah I don't know I I feel very similarly I think that like a black woman's experience is like very different from like other uh, demographics of women you know Um, and then it gets even more complicated when you consider things like queerness and ability status and socioeconomic status into that you know so and also like I think like the first wave feminism movement ended up leaving out a lot of black women and like those remnants are still like relevant in today's feminist movement yeah no i think that that's totally right i think you're completely right and i feel like if like my relationship with black feminism i feel like i started recognizing how those things overlapped before i had um the rhetoric or like the vocabulary to articulate the this theory or this thought right and I mean Cameron you talked about how we are debate partners and I feel like that's really important to talk about specifically because like that activity I don't want to say like launched my interest in black femme but like quite literally required me to like read all of this stuff and I was I don't want to speak for you but I was definitely like uh not overwhelmed but just I don't think I realized how much there was, how deep it was. And even like within the black feminist movement, like how many different uh, methods of thought are happening at the same time. So I wanna talk about um, your relationship with black femme specifically um, and just like how it's grown over the past couple of years. Yeah, I I think I'm right there with you, honestly. Um, I think, that the, I guess it starts back in high school, right? That first learning the idea of feminism that as a young girl, I'm coming into realizing that, oh, there's obviously oppression that exists here. And this is a movement that's supposed to help liberate me, right? And without realizing the history of the movements, where they come from and who is who has a say in the movements, I think is where I found such an importance in my life for black feminism. Um, and that, like I said before, at face value, it's all women, 
But then when you get into the nitty gritty of who's making decisions, whose who's issues come up at the top of the list, um, who's getting addressed first, who's getting um, their, their epistemologies, whose who's epistemologies are given credence, it's, it's um, become very important for me to realize that there is a movement that recognizes that larger movements like feminism in general are still create oppression within themselves. And it's not to say that feminism is a bad thing, right? But rather that movements aren't perfect and that we still have to recognize like, even if we're attempting for liberation that we can still end up recreating the harms that we claim to fix. Um, and I think really delving into the the history of black women um and black feminists black feminist thinkers um going through the same issues that i went through at a obviously for me at a lesser degree but um realizing that there is a long long line of black women who have done this work before me and and almost i don't want to say pro prophesize but like are aware that this isn't an issue that just ended with the civil rights movement. It's not an issue that just ended with um, with the popularity, growing popularity of feminism, but rather there's there's women who have come before me and women who are gonna come after me who know what it's like and are here with their knowledge for, for us to discover, honestly. I was reading, oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, nothing. I was like, wow, that's so, that's so eloquent. That was so beautiful. That was like, like, I just feel like you said so many things I didn't have words for. Oh my God, Cameron. <laughs> I know, right? I know. And you were nervous. <laughs> no, no, no. I, like, I definitely didn't have the language for that. You explained so many things I've been feeling on the inside. So thank you for that. No, of course. No, problem. I was reading, um, or I started reading this book not too long ago. I was telling you about it the other day, Cameron, Eloquent Rage. Mm. And in uh, it's by Brittany Cooper. And so far I, I'm I'm enjoying the book. I haven't finished it yet. But in maybe like the second or third chapter, uh Brittany talks about how she struggles with labeling herself as a feminist. And she talks about how when she was in college at Howard, how that was where she was like first exposed to black feminism. And the dissonance between feminism or mainstream feminism and black feminism is what limited her scope or, you know, uh, stopped her from identifying fully as a feminist. Do you all identify as feminist? Because I find like this is hard for me because like feminism in general, I feel like your average Joe doesn't know all of like the nuance that goes into it and like you know if I ran into someone on the street I don't think they would know like all of the things that I've learned about black femme and like still have to learn about it and so I struggle sometimes um it's not that I struggle with calling myself a feminist but I think that that's like an interesting uh standpoint of like and kind of exposes like the plight of black women of like being able to identify as a feminist um yeah, so I guess how do you all feel about that? Like, oh my god, I remember we had, I think like a couple weeks ago we had a whole like conversation about like this exact thing is where I feel like I don't know, I have a very hard time identifying with like with the word feminist because it's like I think like I have to explain what that means, you know? Um, because like, A, I do not want to like identify with like the kind of uh people who were wearing like the pussy hats at like the women's march because I yeah. think that that was a like super super like performative in a way that like I just was uncomfortable with and b it's kind of like I'm not a fan of the way that I think sometimes feminist fe feminism has a, has a tendency to focus on like the on like body parts um and genitalia and things like that and yeah. I think it's kind of a really I feel that way about a lot of like um a lot of like other spaces that are like um like like mostly like cis women and I think there's like a really 
bad focus that having to sometimes has like on cis women and I don't think we're talking about our like trans siblings enough and so like that's really a lot of my big issues with it but also also it's like I'm just not a fan of the way that we kind of that a lot of like mainstream feminism goes about like its stances you know like I don't think that it's inclusive of like trans women I don't think it's inclusive of like women of color I don't think it's um I don't think it's just doing the job that it needs to do and I think it like borderlines on like what we talk about is like white feminism where like it's only really trying to be applicable to one kind of women's experience and one kind of women's like um lifestyle and things like that and I think it's really it's make, it's made it really inaccessible for me you know um just because there are so many things that I find kind of like reprehensible about the about like the the modern like feminist movement at that we're in right now so you know I I don't know I'm if anyone asks who like I know like doesn't really know a whole lot about feminism I'm probably going to say that yes I am a feminist but like if I'm talking to someone who like is more familiar with those spaces I'm probably not going to call myself that but like you know I'm probably going to be like I agree with like these stances but with the movement as a whole I feel very detached from it I feel like it's not really for my body or for my experiences Mm. yes that's almost exactly what I was going to say because I think there's a very large difference between feminism in theory and feminism in practice And that's a large issue with a lot of movements is that at face value, the idea of gender equality is like, great, perfect, all on board, got it. But when you actually get into the enactment of feminism through legislation, through creating programs, through even just like interpersonal relationships, it, like you said, it ends up favoring cis white women, essentially, straight women as well. And I think that if someone were to ask me, like you said, if I'm a feminist, there's obviously a lot of like negative connotations that come along with the word, which to begin with make me hesitant. But in theory, feminism, I agree with. But I, yeah, I think it's the same thing, especially I really love the point that you made about like focusing on body parts because I was thinking you know a lot about black feminism before I came on here um and I think oftentimes um it's not just an attack on women or an attack on black women but also an attack on femininity as a whole and being feminine or expressing femininity and how that's devalued and considered less less valuable, less full of knowledge, less, um, less, I don't want to say useful, but like less pertinent to our daily lives. And so like, it's like you said, it's not just cis white women who are subject to sexism, but like the, the focus on body parts as a, as um, a, a point of what's the word? a point of commonality is an issue with white feminism, essentially. Um, yes, yes, you said exactly what I was thinking. Mm. You were in my mind. So that's <laughs> what it was. Okay, I was I to someone else where like, I, I think that like, I think modern feminism has an issue with actually kind of like devaluing things that are feminine in the process of trying to like, paint this image of a strong woman like okay I'm gonna get into so y'all remember the Beauty and the Beast remake and mm-hmm. where Emma Watson refused to wear a corset because she wanted like Belle to be a princess of action you know um and I remember I was so upset about this because a I'm like a I'm a stickler for like period appropriate clothing and like period pieces you know and it's like Rococo fashion is really beautiful and I'm like it wouldn't have been a course it would have been stays in the first place that's the first thing she got wrong in any case um, my my issue with that aside I was upset with this because like people were praising her as like having this like big feminist statement when I'm like listen by saying that by virtue of saying that you think that like what essentially like a bra for this time period is oppressive 
is you're saying something about femininity being oppressive. You're saying something about like being soft and like gentle being kind of against like the goals of feminism. And by virtue, you're saying that like masculinity is better, you know, like that is, that is what that is saying to, to me. And I think people who like have that stance about things that are feminine, you know, like I feel like we got to this point where we were like, oh, we have to be more masculine to like, so that men will like suddenly respect us. But like in the process, I think we were also like devaluing things that are like uniquely feminine and soft. And I get, and like also kind of like that idea of being like, of like delving into masculinity in that way isn't really powerful for all women. Like, I don't think that's powerful for like black women who are already like hyper-masculinized in society to begin with. And I think there's so much more power in having like black women especially be soft. And I don't know, it irked me because it's like in the in the course of trying to make this statement about like you wanting to give this character more agency, you're actually taking away the thing that makes her great, you know, and that is the fact that she is like intelligent and uniquely very feminine. And like I think that's one of the that's one of the issues that like that brought to mind for me when like in the way that we think about femininity. Mm-hmm. No, that totally makes sense. I mean, and we've talked about it on the show before of like how much power there is in vulnerability, especially like how you say like black women historically have been like hypermasculinized, specifically dark skinned black women. So like uh, when you have like that happening, I think that there is a very great power in embracing that like vulnerable softness. And like that might not be the path to liberation for um, all women. And I think that recognizing that is also key. Yeah, feminism isn't really a one-size-fits-all kind of game, but I do think we've tried to cram a lot of issues into a one-size-fits-all movement, mm. which is like a part of like my my queasiness with identifying as a feminist at the moment, is I don't think we're acknowledging that like some things that are powerful for some women are not powerful for other women. Like I get that like delving into masculinity in that way was probably powerful for white women who have historically been thought of as like soft and delicate and like honestly kind of helpless in that way um and like I understand that that probably is super powerful for white women but it definitely is not the same for I think many women of color yeah I mean there's this reminds me of I took um women and gender studies 401 class about feminist theory Um, And this is one of the main points of our class is just looking at the different types of feminism because people hear feminists and think everyone is painted the same, everyone believes the same, everyone thinks liberation for us should look the same, and that's really not true. And we used a book by uh, Rosemarie Tong, and it's called Feminist Thought, and a majority of the book is just looking at different types of feminism, their histories and what they believe, because you know you have like liberal feminists and you have like radical feminists and you have radical cultural feminists and you have you know socialist feminists and each one focusing on a different way of liberation so for some feminists becoming an, as androgynous as possible and melding masculinity and femininity to become the perfect blend of the two they consider liberation right and obviously you have the issue of then um devaluing aspects of femininity and overvaluing aspects of masculinity um, as a critique of that standpoint. But then you also have, you know, um, other types of feminism where liberation for them is just being exclusively um, feminine. And some sometimes they use this weird word like femaleness, which is a whole other thing I don't want to completely Oof. get into. But the idea that um, in order to be fully liberated, you just have to embrace femininity and value it which is like good on one hand but also ignores um the parts of ourselves the, the people who not are aren't always um completely feminine and how that doesn't always completely encapsulate who we are who we want to be um and then obviously you have like marxist feminists who focus on class as like the the oppression of of women but i think it's different and it's it's a really hard dance to blend um, different liberation methods and finding what works for us. Because the same thing isn't gonna work for everyone, point blank period, that's just how it is. Um, 
but it's definitely not easy. It's definitely not easy. No, for sure. I think, I think it can get dangerous though, when people, um, see something or like see uh, when women critique other women for like acting in a way that is liberating like to them so like I mean we can point to so many examples but like specifically when uh the when WAP came out like the song in the music video a lot of women were like oh my gosh this is so uh like demoralizing you're this is so uh like inappropriate this is you have daughters or whatever as if that would be like some reason to not embrace like your sexuality um and like I feel, wrong it's the worst thing yeah and I feel like that um that conflict or that like desire for conflict is where it can get really dangerous so it's like hey if I'm liberated through modesty that's totally cool but like me taking that and then you know, being violent towards other people or like being hateful towards other people for like expressing themselves in whatever way is liberating to them. I think that is like very dangerous and also um, divisive. (laughs) And I don't know, like, I think we need to talk about white feminism in its entirety, which could really be like a 12 part series. (laughs) And (laughs) I feel like both of you on separate occasions have heard like my long passionate rants about white feminism but it's right well it's because like I think a lot of times like white women will not admit that they have a place in white supremacy and like that's kind of how you get things like white feminism and the way that it's so like the way that it has kind of co-opted like the whole movement in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and in a way that like it has stopped a lot of progress for other women because when you think about feminism a lot of those stances are still the things that like are stances in white feminism you know um yeah I I that was part of my um my no nuance November on TikTok was I'm like wow I really think white women should admit that they have a place in white supremacy and like really be examining that you know um and what that means for their own like social justice movement well I mean because historically we can look to how white women have used their positionality to like gain some sort of benefit right and so that's not to say that they weren't disadvantaged by like blatant sexism but like your whiteness affords you a privilege to be able to I don't know climb the social ladder uh be viewed differently than like a black woman in society and like that in and of itself is a privilege and so when you then oof oof we were talking about Amy Amy Coney Barrett literally the other day like yes oh my god yeah and so I feel like that's a perfect example of like somebody using their whiteness to like excel or you know climb that social ladder to get a certain uh, it you know to then like be in a position of power and then not recognizing how white feminism is quite literally like an arm of white supremacy. And I mean, you know, there's no other way for me to say, I'm always talking about Rachel Cargill's article, white when feminism is white supremacy in heels. Um, And whoa. Mm. Uh, What did you just say, whoa? I said, whoa. I mean, yeah, like, that's why, I mean, like, if you look at, like, the stats for the the last election, it's, like, white women still, like, came out in scores to vote for Donald Trump, even though he is, in fact, a sexist and a racist and a xenophobe and just, like, so many other things at the end of the day, it's very much, like, well, I don't know, it's, like, these are people who have still, like, chosen their whiteness over just the, every other form of oppression that they, that they definitely do have it's like this man is never going to like support anything that like is going to be good for you or other women but you still chose whiteness over that and like, that is really important <laughs> oh stories Let's i go. have a story listen okay. okay i'm gonna preface this by saying this is not an attempt i'm not gonna use names this is not an attempt to make anyone like, I'm not trying to come for your neck. I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm just, I'm going to just tell it. Okay. Go for it. I was in one of my classes. 
and we were talking about the election. This was just after, just, just after um, Biden's victory had been declared. And we were talking about our thoughts and feelings about you know the course of events. And I had gotten up in class and I said something to the effect of oftentimes when you hear people justify their decision to vote or support he who must not be named, it's based in this idea that like he has done something for them or like for the economy and that Trump, like that, that's better than everything. That that's, it's ironic, but that trumps everything. Um, and is, and is the thing that should come first. Right. And I said that in class and then I had, um, a white girl come up in class after me and say something to the effect of, I, I voted for, um, I voted Republican. She didn't even say Donald J. Trump. She was like, I voted Republican. And I was like, well, say it with your chest if you're gonna anyways she said I voted for him because I just feel like he made a lot of difference in like the school system that's like around me and like the economy and like I just want everyone to have a good education and I don't appreciate it when he says sexist things or I don't like it when he says racist things but I still voted for him And like, I was literally on the verge of tears. I was so angry that that had come out of her mouth. And I think a lot of white people like don't realize or even more refuse to realize the amount of like white privilege that they have in like making decisions with that like logic. And just the fact that people's literal lives, people's literal liberties, people's People, people being locked up in cages, people dying from a pandemic that has been here since the beginning of the year. Like the fact that people's literal livelihoods are less important to a lot of white voters than the economy and like policies that literally any president can make is enough to sway their vote. Like that's enough for them. It's enough to sway their vote because their vote has was solid the whole time. Like there was nothing, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like all these people that value the economy or, or is the economy that great? I don't know. That's a whole nother episode, but right. Like for to all these people that are like, oh, well, you know, he benefited the economy. I got like a cute tax, tax break. So I'm going to vote for him but I don't like when he says sexist or racist things, your vote was never going to be swayed. I, and I'm glad you said like, say it with your chest because I wish people would just sit in it. You know, I just wish that you would just say with your chest that you don't care when people in positions of power say racist things. You don't care when like they perpetuate anti-blackness or sexism or misogynoir like on a very large scale. They do not care. Mm. And so it's like, yeah, I don't think, so when they're like, oh, you know, maybe Biden could have got my vote. I don't believe that. Like, I don't think your vote was ever going to change. Mm. Right, no, because people voted in, like, people, who, people who voted for him, especially after the past four years, first of all, even before he was president, people who voted for him are still like racist and gross. And I, cause like the evidence was there, but especially after having having him as president for four years and people who still voted for him after everything that we've been through, like you, like those are people who have sided with themselves, especially the white women who did. They sided with their own whiteness. They sided with their own like pocket. They sided with their, and they just kind of forgot that there were other people who's like, this was a life or death, or death decision for them. And it's, first of all, it's selfish, but like second of all, like, uh, like you said, like nothing would have, change their minds because like they're still going to benefit from all the other systems in place that are going to keep them where they at so exactly. like, they, <laughs> like exactly. you know go ahead sorry oh just no that, that was the whole thing but, like there's like they're not gonna like it's one of the things like like their lives are not going to change drastically depending on who's in the white house right because like they are still going to be they're still like a white person in the U.S., they're still going to benefit from white privilege. They are still going to like, like, the, like the pay gap is there, but like 
black women and like women of color are still making less than any white women um and it's like those things are happening but like not on the scale enough to where like they feel like their whole like livelihood is in danger yeah, by exactly. virtue of that person exactly and I I asked in class I just like looked her in the face and I was like like what is enough when is enough enough like I'm a I'm a believer that marginalized people do not need like white people to fix everything for them. Like, I don't think that we need other people to liberate ourselves for ourselves, but I just still, my question is like, what does it take? Like, when is enough enough? Like when, what is the point? What is the threshold at which you decide that it's time for you to do something? Cause we've seen people, I mean, this, this is not a new conversation. This is not a new struggle. This is, this goes back to colonization if y'all really want to get into it, but like, what does it take? Like when, when is it going to click for people that their actions have consequences and that their actions continue to perpetuate a system that they quote unquote don't appreciate? Mm. Oh, honestly, you said it. Like I, I for real, for real thought like, like it's going to take like scores of people and a certain demographic to act like the state to like actually be killing them. But then like coronavirus happened and the state refused to respond in a way that that would have saved lives. And that happened and people still voted for him. Mm. And so I literally, I do not know. I do not know what it'll take. Maybe that is the, the vestiges of capitalism on the side that people will always care more about property and money than actual human lives. Maybe mm. like, maybe they need to like lose some like large financial gain in some way to suddenly like, care but like obviously like the human cost means nothing uh because like that's, that's what this virus is like proven to me you know like i think that i thought i really thought that like, it would need like white people to like lose faith in the state and i just feel like, I, like the coronavirus response has shown that they should have lost faith in the state but they haven't and so you know who's to say who's to say <laughs> or maybe it's the idea that like someone is always going to be experiencing worse than you like at the end of the day it's like people of color are still always going to be experiencing worse than like um the, the white people in this country because of the way that like white supremacy is working in our nation um and so maybe it's that maybe it's like you know it's the that of it but who's to say who's to say I really don't at this point I'm convinced that there really isn't a limit because people are always really just going to kind of decide with what is going to benefit them personally than what's going to benefit like the collective of society, you know? And I think it's about like realizing that we're kind of all, we're all, all in this like dumpster fire together. And oh. I think that a lot of people haven't realized that. There's a quote that that reminds me of and I'm most definitely going to butcher it, but it's something to the effect of, I think it was a quote from that someone said um, who had experienced the Holocaust and they said, um, first they came for, this group of people and no one did anything then they came for this other group of people and no one said anything because it wasn't them and then they came for another group of people and no one said anything because it wasn't them and then there was only one group of people left and there was no one to stand up for them mm. and it's like we forget that other people like like you said we are all in this dumpster fire together and when we don't realize the fact that like other people's oppression still affects us as a whole and like we need to do something about that is is just mind-blowing yeah no and I think the the frustrating part of it for me is like when we have these conversations like when uh black women are like put on the stage or like when we're trying to really talk about like essentializing black life or like essentializing uh black feminism in general is like we're told like there's this silencing that happens you know like this oh well you know we're and we kind of talked about it at the beginning of the episode so it's like if i if i'm talking about specific like oppression that is specific to black women and then i am met with oh well you know but all women <laughs> or all lives matter like that oh. that idea and that they is love really that. Part. that's the frustrating part for me because it's like well no i'm trying to tell you quite literally like how all of these things are working and you're still like there is still a wall 
yeah no like you're so right like like it's one of those things it's like yes we are all living but I definitely need you to see how I am a different woman from you like that is like that that's the distinction you know like I need you to see that I'm like you know a, a chronically ill woman I need, you to, I need you to see that I'm a black woman I need you to see my like I am a like low income woman I need you to see like all of my they, I, see, see that I'm a fat woman you know and like all of those things are like making up who I am and I need the I need the <laughs> intersectionality which is why Kimberly Crenshaw's a genius uh for giving us this word uh because like without that like you are not really addressing the problems at their root you're just putting a band-aid over them and you're just kind of like going on like about your life you know um and not really thinking about the way that like there are systems that are preventing me from being seen as a full person let alone a full woman and like those things matter and that's the issue with colorblindness is that people just assume that because they've realized race is made up um that it doesn't have material effects and that we can just wish them away in our minds uh, yasmin i know you remember when we were <laughs> at a tournament <laughs> what are you about to say <laughs> When we were at a tournament and they I literally had two non-black people look me in the face and tell me I was not black anymore because they had realized in their minds that race was a made up concept and washed their hands of it. And so now I'm no longer black. So they've, they've solved anti-black oppression because race doesn't exist. And I was like, oh, no nuance. <laughs> <laughs> That that hasn't that hasn't solved anything. You haven't changed any systems. You haven't done any work. You haven't you haven't you haven't done anything. You just said some things, and and expected to make that reality. And I mean, I would love it if we could be in a place where race did not matter. But that is just not the state of things. That is just not the world we live in. And saying it is not going to make it true. Um, we have been the the concept of race is what like. 500, 500 years old? Right, like super, super old. Like it's just, uh, colonization imperialism gave us that. <laughs> yeah, and so like two minutes of you saying that race is made up doesn't, doesn't solve back for that oppression. It doesn't make it go away. It doesn't change the systems that we have that were built on, on the concept of race. It's just, it's not that simple. And that applies to all types of oppression, not just racism, but like just really, like Yasmin said before, really sitting with it, really sitting with the fact that these are not these are not issues that take two seconds to to fix. We can't just think about it and solve it. That it's really we have to change not only the way we think about ourselves and stop us, stop ourselves when we begin to think in in old. Um, oppressive ways but also change our actions yeah. right like gender and race are fake but they still matter mm. they are still systems that we are living in and like they still have material impact and those things are important to address you know like great that you realize it's all like garbage but also like do something about it so <laughs> that we can like work towards living in a system that like where these things don't really matter as much which is oh my god i can't believe someone said that to you i you would not believe the wild <laughs> that shit crazy shit that we hear Ooh, the girls oh, are wilding man. out here the girls it's are wild. <laughs> it's crazy i think i think people just don't want to do the introspection because they don't want to think of themselves as being the quote bad guy oh my mm. god yeah that's like it. that's all it is and and so like, instead of like policing black women for being like angry, cause that happens to me a lot. Um, because I'm frustrated when I'm like faced with these situations, rightfully so. Like we, we're allowed to be frustrated when people say racist stuff to us in round. And the response should be not to police our reaction, but to like, I don't know, do some introspection. <laughs> hey, how is what I'm saying like sexist? Is what I'm saying like racist? Is it both? How do I not do that anymore? What do I, you know what I'm saying? It's like people don't want to do that work because they don't want to think of themselves as like being the, ba the bad guy because they're not the ones that like created the system. I, f I find that a lot too. They're like, well, you know, I didn't do anything bad. So, you know, therefore I, I should take no responsibility in the effects of the, of like 
these systems at play. But like, like you said, Aaliyah, like they have material impact. And I think that lack of like inner personal work and just like realizing like, hey, I could mess up sometimes. And the problem is not the messing up. The problem is like how I react. The problem is the, it's, it's like how I plan to change if I plan to change at all. Um, right. Like I, it's one of those things where it's just kind of like, we, we cannot help that we have grown up and lived in a system that is like based in white supremacy and like xenophobia and misogyny and misogyny and like enableism and, and all these other like really messed up forms of oppression but like what we do have control over is how we do with those things you know like I and I think that there is something like really good about introspection like I just think that like it's one of the things you have to realize you are a person and that you are like li- like liable to like mess up times and like no one's going to fault you for that you know like no one's going to fault you for the things that you don't know as long as like a, they, a, a that person is meeting you in good faith for things that you don't know and b that you are like being gentle with yourself about things that you don't know you know like I am a cis woman and I understand that like I have grown up in a world that has like given me a lot of like transphobic images and a lot of transphobic ideologies and so like my job as a cis woman is to like examine that and to think about the way that like transphobia has existed in my life and the ways that I am going to choose to combat those things you know and also acknowledging that I have possibly been been transphobic in my past and possibly thought and said transphobic things and like that realization is like how you get to the point of actually helping these communities and actually being a better person, you know? Like justice like dies when you're silent about things. Like justice dies when you don't think about the way that oppressive systems have had effects on your life, you know? And how can you expect the world to be better if you're going to ignore them, you know? Like if we all just sat around and pretend that these things aren't, aren't happening, like nothing is going to change because people in power certainly don't want them to change. People who are benefiting from these oppressive systems certainly don't want them to change. And so, you know, it starts with you and with thinking about yourself as like, hey, I have been this bad guy before. What can I do to not be that person anymore? You know, that's thinking to yourself, hey, I have like said racist things. I have been a racist person. What can I do in my, in my own like life to not be racist anymore? And that's like, all we are asking at this point the mm-hmm. bare minimum no it's true it really is it's not a lot it is not it a is lot. Not. the bars in hell anyone <laughs> can step over it satan <laughs> has his foot on it and you could all you have to do is just step over it <laughs> oh my goodness and i mean that that causes you know a lot of infighting you know, especially, and it just blows my mind, especially, you know, a lot of people who have become more vocal over the past summer about um, racism and police brutality, how they, how they've magically like, oh, I am, I am here for the fight. And it's like, they still don't recognize or or, well, yeah, that's, that's the first thing is to recognize the fact that like, black people can still perpetuate colorism between between ourselves like that is still a thing that exists like just because as a black person you experience oppression doesn't mean that you can't also oppress other black people mm-hmm. um or how like cis people will cis black people will end up like um marginalizing trans and non-binary black people or like you know black men love them but will still sometimes Ooh. uh perpetuate sexism and it's like just because you're I, like you're a black man yes and you go through a lot of a lot of issues and racism and like anxiety and and fear which is all valid and real but that does not mean that you can't also perpetuate similar harms to to, to black women to black envies to black trans people like that it just blows my mind the way that people can see oppression for, for, for themselves and from their own perspective and then disregard the ways that they reenact harms upon others right everybody has the ability to be an oppressor in one way or another and you gotta you gotta, you gotta look at that I feel that so deeply you know and I feel like we would all be better in our activism if we kind of like assess the if we assess the way that we are like 
have the have the ability to be an oppressor to other groups of people you know and that no that doesn't it's not like a moral failing you know like i feel like i feel like it's only moral failing if you are not like recognizing that you know like it doesn't make you a bad person that you have the ability to oppress someone else because like these are structures that have been created a long ago and are just still prevalent in our in our lives you know and i feel like people just don't want to be a bad person but i feel like the fact that urge that you're having you that usually you know the allies have a lot of the time of like just trying their absolute darndest to not be that person is better than most other oppressors <laughs> like you know like it is i feel like if you were a really a horrible person you would not be thinking about it I think the fact that you are like the people are like thinking about the ways that they can oppress other people and thinking about how they want to like counteract that like that is already so much growth has been there. I think some people like stop in their allyship just because they are afraid of like messing up or like accidentally being an oppressor when they don't mean to be. And it's like, well, the fact that you are at least trying is already better than most people. Mm. Look at that, and that's the tea. <laughs> That is tea. That is tea. Um, I guess I have a question for you guys. So it's kind of like, I guess, what would we say are like goals that we would want to see like right now in Black feminism? Like, what do you think that like are things that we could be accomplishing, I suppose, like materially? Mm, that's hard right because there's so, I feel like there's so many things in that you know yeah Oof. I think I would like to see more support from like from like black men because I feel like black women continually yeah. show up for black men in a way that they have never shown up for us in that yeah. same way you took, you took the words out of my mouth <laughs> Right, like I just at this point, I'm like, listen, I want more black men to identify as black feminists and like understand what that means and be examining their own sexism and colorism and the way they promote massage noir and also like their own toxic masculinity and things like that, you know. Um, and like, you know, I think that there is a space for black men in black feminism, as as you know, there's a space for like all men in feminism, you know. Um, and I just think that like that's what I want to see more of because I feel like I feel like just recently I've just seen so many images of black men like putting down black women for being angry and it's like no like maybe assess why she's angry like maybe assess why like they are ha- like black women are having issues with black men and examine the way that is working in your own life. Mm. I'm sorry I'm just sitting with it yeah yeah no you got you got that (laughs) I don't know I feel like I want to see a lot of different things I would like to see this is going to sound corny but I want to see like more solidarity in general across the movement so like, like I was talking about earlier like um criminalizing women for acting in a certain way just because maybe those actions aren't liberating you I feel like we definitely like we need to just stop we whatever flavor that tea is we need to stop because it's not it's not helping that's not what we need to be doing you know what I'm saying right in those situations it's like you could have said nothing and yet here we go (laughs) like here we are and so I feel like there was I guess a wider acceptance or even just like an acknowledgement that this is not a one size fit all fits all um, that the way black feminism manifests inside me might be different than it manifests inside you all or like literally in anybody else. And that's fine. You know, like that's peachy keen. That's okay. Yeah. Hold space for differing opinions on what liberation is. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Cameron, do you have any thoughts? Yeah. Like as means that it's difficult because, you know, that's like, that's the ultimate question is what, what do we want and how are we going to get there? 
Um, but I think, I, I, I definitely think the work that needs to be done for black people is different from the work that needs to be done or at least has distinctions from the work that needs to be done for non-black people and especially white people. Um, but I will say, I think it happens on at least two different levels. The first of which being at a legislative level is that when there are, when, do I agree with the way our state works? No, but does it still have immediate power over us? Yes. So I think that there is work that needs to be done in terms of supporting legislation that, that is meant to benefit marginalized people and is meant to give them rights and is meant to take away the ways that they have been criminalized um, and demonized for existing. Um, and really considering the way our our political power works, not just for ourselves, but for everyone. So instead of, you know, voting in a way or supporting candidates in a way, we're thinking, how does this help me? What does this do for me? But rather coming from a standpoint of who, who does this help? Who could this harm? Like, what, what are my values? Like, how do I support people who are going to support all of us, um, especially the most marginalized to be given with, obviously. But then I think there's a second level to that, which is um, work needing to be done in terms of our own personal lives, like make friends, I feel like is really simple and kind of like weird and corny, but just like not spending all of our time with people who are like us. And I, in this, I'm referring to like white people essentially um and not letting like the media and like you know our phones the internet control how we think and feel about people but just knowing people is i feel like a first step in terms of like what people can do um but also like interrogating the ways you think about people like when you have a thought sometimes i mean like was it was said before we don't we are not perfect we can still be oppressors to other people at the same time of our own oppression happening. And so when you think a thought about someone or make an assumption about someone, take a second, interrogate what that, what that meant, where it came from, why you said and feel the things that you do um, as a first step, but also like educate yourself, like read a, like read a book as, as Jazz Buckley says, read a book. It's really not hard. Um, but I think in terms of work to be done for Black people, for Black femmes, um, start by not being so hard on yourself, honestly. Like, we are living in a crazy time. They say this in all time periods, but like, I got, right now is a particularly crazy time. And just being easy on yourself, I think. Like, educate yourself, yes, understand, because like, you can still oppress people, but also realize that it's it's long-term work, it's a long-term goal, it's a it's a goal that's going to outlive us and people after us, and that like make radical change, but also realize it's not gonna happen overnight. Um okay. Once again, a huge thank you to our guest, Cameron Dawkins, for joining us today. Uh, thank you for helping us close out our season. We really appreciate having you on the show. Yes. Um, please love each other and yourselves. Be gentle with yourselves. That's a wrap for our episode this week and for season one of Black Girl Tea Party. Aaliyah, where can our listeners find you? I am at it's Aaliyah Dorsey on Twitter and Instagram. Yasmeen, where can our listeners find you? I'm at Yasmeen underscore SA. And as always, please follow us at Black Girl Tea Party on Instagram and search Black Girl Tea Party at Black Girl Tea Time on Twitter to stay up to date with episodes. Just because this is the end of the season doesn't mean that we won't be posting content. So stay tuned. 
We also have a Facebook page. You can follow us on Facebook when you search Black Girl Tea Party, uh, where we'll also be posting updates on there as well. Um, but while we're at it, please subscribe to our show. Rate and review us on the podcast and Spotify or Pocket Cast um, or CastBox or wherever you listen to our show. Um, we would really love it if new people would discover our show. Recently, we just reached over... 200 all-time listeners so we would love for more people to find us and join the tea party with all of us so please do all of that oh you can also send us an email at blackgirlteaparty at gmail.com send us questions ask for advice or just tell us how much you love the show we would love to hear from you (laughs) that was really funny um before we go, we just want to thank our listeners for joining us for the inaugural season of Black Girl Tea Party. We have loved making this show for you, and we wouldn't be here without you. As always, thank you so much for joining us and for sticking with us through season one. We love and appreciate every listen, like, follow, and subscription. Remember to love often and with all your heart. We'll see you next season.